You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning. As we um, gather this morning, we're continuing to walk through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and I'll give a, a brief succinct recap of uh, our previous time, and then we will jump in today. But as we do so, let me first offer a word of prayer. Uh, The Lord be with you. Uh, Let us pray. Most gracious and ever-living God, we thank you that you enable us to gather in this way, that though physically distanced, um, you knit us together um, spiritually with you and with one another. As we're gathered now in all of our various locations, we pray that you would be in the midst of us as we gather in your name. And as always, ultimately, Lord, I pray that the word of life, your living word would go forth and that that living word would take root in our hearts, our minds, our spirits uh, to bring to us and through us the life which is found in you um, for ourselves and beyond. This we ask, this we offer now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, again, a word of, uh, again, a brief recap of part of what we talked about last week. Um, Last week feels like a long time ago. So uh, one of the things we, we talked about is that what we hear in Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, we read about it in the 17th chapter Um, of the Acts of the Apostles. We hear of Paul going um, to Macedonia, where he goes um, to Thessalonica, where he goes to Philippi, to Berea, and then uh, on from there um, to, um, we hear that he goes to Athens and to Corinth um, as he's on his second missionary journey. And one of the things that we noted is that as he went and taught within the synagogue in Thessalonica, there were those who received his message, uh, the truth of his message, with joy and with gratitude. And of course, there were those who opposed his message and didn't simply uh, oppose his message, but in, in essence, ran Paul and Silas and Timothy um, out of town. And one of the things in the first two chapters, uh, again, we're, we certainly won't cover um, all of it, but one of the things that we noted is, is Paul spoke with tremendous joy uh, and tremendous thanksgiving about the, about the love that has been extended to us um, by God and that through um, the love of God made known to us in Jesus Christ, uh, that we are people who have a hope and a security. Uh, we have a meaning and we have a freedom that we will not be able to find um, elsewhere. And we talked about wonderfully, we, we focused in on that word freedom and, and how wonderfully we are free um, in Jesus Christ and, and free in such a way that leads not to detachment, uh, but leads to greater engagement with people, uh, greater engagement with the world around us because we are not uh, slaves um, to their approval. Uh, we, we, we care deeply, we desire and long to, to love and to engage and to care for the people around us. Uh, and yet, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, our hope and our security and our meaning and, and our approval, quite frankly, come from what God has done for us in Jesus. And so it talked about the tremendous joy and the tremendous freedom. And, and then finally, that, that great longing, and this is where we'll pick up today at, at the end of two and moving into three and, and following, and we'll see 
time-wise, uh, how we do in, in walking through the five chapters of the letter to the Thessalonians. But at the end of chapter 2, Paul talks about, and this is 2.17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, and we mentioned that the word um, brothers uh, occurs, uh, if I remember correctly, it's uh, 24 times in this uh, short letter, um, how much he emphasizes that we are knit together. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, um, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, um, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and you are our joy. Uh, we, we see that the, the great joy and the freedom that, that Paul has found in in praying for the people in Thessalonica, the wonderful way in which God drew Paul, the wonderful way in which God draws us out of ourselves and how we find freedom being drawn out of ourselves and our prayers um, for others. And, and Paul finds in the faith and the belief of the people of Thessalonica his, his joy uh, and his glory uh, is, not, is not in himself, but it's in their having come to faith. And, it's, and he longs to be with them. Uh, he had, longs to enjoy um, the fellowship with them. And I'm, obviously, I'm not going to read the entirety of each of these chapters, but I'll read certain portions here. But I, I pick up now in 1 Thessalonians 3.1, uh, Paul describes in how um, he was left uh, in, in Athens. And, and quite frankly, um, we, we see the, the love and the fellowship. We see the humanity. Um, it's, it's no doubt that, um, that, that Paul felt lonely. Uh, it's no doubt that Paul um, missed his friends, that, that longing to be together with them. Uh, and he says this, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we're not exactly sure whether that was Paul, or Paul and Silas or Paul and others, but one of the things that we do know is that Timothy, um, and in fact, actually, as we read, we hear that Timothy and, and Silas return with a report, um, but we hear that uh, Paul, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. We see, of course, Paul's great concern is, is for them. Paul's great concern is that their faith would endure. And one of the things that, that Paul notes here, and this is important to note, uh, and, and this isn't unique to Paul, um, Jesus speaks to this as well, is that the Christian life um, is uh, affliction uh, and challenge and trial and hardship um, are a part uh, of the Christian life. And of course, Christianity is sometimes misrepresented uh, to say that to become a Christian, then our, then our troubles cease, uh, to become a Christian and, and our afflictions cease. And that is certainly not the teaching 
or the model and example of Jesus. And it's certainly not the teaching of Paul either. And, and you know from your own experience that, and more than just two ways, but when we come to t- times of trial, times of challenge, times of affliction, hardship, um, oftentimes it can, it can push us in one of two ways. And as I say, it's not, it's not that easy, not that cut and dry, but uh, as we go through times of affliction, it, it, can, create, um, it can create a hardness. It can create a resentment. Uh, rather than drawing us toward God, we see in some instances where it can push people away and they become bitter. But we also see that in affliction, it can be that which draws us um, to God in those times. Uh, and that being drawn to God, we, we find the truth of his word and we find the sufficiency um, of his spirit during those times of trial and hardship. Um, it, it's hard to believe, and of course, some of you know nothing about this, and some of you were wonderfully, graciously uh, with Paul and I during this time, but hard to believe that December will be six years since Paula had her um, accidents. We were uh, pedestrians, and and Paula was hit by a hit-and-run driver and um, spent, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, three weeks in the hospital at at UAB and four months in a wheelchair, and, and of course, just, you know, not just months, but, but this tremendous time um, during this. And it was interesting that, that during that time, uh, Paula was uh, asked uh, whether uh, she said, why me? And uh, quite frankly, had, if she had said, why me? I wouldn't have faulted her in, in any way um, if she had wrestled with that and, and struggled with that. But uh, interestingly, throughout that time, Paula, uh, Paula never said, why me? It was to some degree, it's kind of like, well, why not me? I wish it wasn't me, um, but, but, but why not me? And, and one of the verses that we really, uh, that we really held on to during that time of, uh, of trial and, and affliction, uh, again, particularly for her, as, as um, she suffered and endured, not just during those um, three weeks that she was in the hospital and the multiple um, surgeries, but in the months and months and months of, uh, and, and really quite frankly, ongoing um, physical therapy to um, to heal and to build strength and, and to be restored. But Second uh, Corinthians 4, there's that great passage that Paul talks about how we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of this relationship with God, that the treasure of his power, which is made perfect in our weakness. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, for we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power uh, is from God and not from us. Uh, And that's actually tremendous good news. The the power that we draw upon is not yours and my power, but it's God's power. Uh, Having put on Christ, uh, having been made um, his sons and his daughters, we were clothed with his strength, with his grace, with his power. And he, and he goes on to write, but we're, we're pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, um, struck down but not destroyed uh, because we carry the death of Jesus in our bodies. We also carry the life uh, of Jesus in our bodies. Paul talks to the people and he says, uh, I, he basically says, you know what, uh, I I confess I was a little worried. I didn't think that our enemy would be successful in leading you away, the tempter, our enemy, Satan. I was confident that you would continue, but I was also concerned for you, and I was concerned for your faith. And therefore, we sent Timothy to hear and to encourage you 
um, in your faith. Um, but wonderfully, we're, we're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not um, destroyed. Uh, maybe some of y'all remember um, years ago, uh, ben Kwashi, uh, a bishop in Nigeria, at that time was uh, Bishop of Josh uh, in Nigeria, and he told a wonderful story uh, during one of his sermons and one of his many visits with us, and he talked about his being a, a difficult child and a difficult teen and his mother praying to the Lord that he would become a Christian, uh, praying to the Lord that he would become a Christian, that he would stay out of trouble, uh, and, he, and he said in his wonderful way, he said, I, he said, I became a Christian and I've been in trouble ever since. <laughs> He's known, he and his family have known very real um, resistance and persecution uh, and, and, and violence. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and yet, and yet, uh, it can be challenging um, to uh, remain faithful uh, in times uh, of affliction, and, and yet we know that uh, through those times, uh, God does not forsake us. Uh, that in the midst of those times, God is, is working on us, but, but also more than that, uh, God is working for us, um, that we're being formed uh, and fashioned in his image and likeness, that, that we are receiving um, a strength and a closeness to him that cannot be taken away. And, and interestingly, there, some of the specific language that is used um, as Paul um, is, is talking uh, to them, the, the word uh, that no one, this is in verse three, that no one be moved um, by these uh, afflictions. The, the, the word for moved uh, and the word which is used often in that time by um, philosophers and, and, and different teachers uh, basically meant to be to be swayed by smooth talk um, in essence to be to be deceived and Paul was concerned was that um, perhaps in affliction um, false teachers uh, would would sway the people um, in their faith uh, and in their conviction uh, and also the way when it when it talks about um, the way that the information uh, is is passed on to them um, is a word which is used um, Basically, sort of in a in a military context, as as words from the commander are, are passed down the line to the various um, soldiers, that they might have clarity, that they might be strengthened. And so we see Paul's tremendous uh, what we talked about this uh, in Jesus Christ, how we are more deeply knit together, how we are freed um, to care for one another, how we are freed to invest uh, in one another. And, and we see this as Paul writes and he expresses um, his concern and he speaks with joy as it goes on in the third chapter um, that the report is actually, uh, is actually one of uh, rejoicing, one of thanksgiving uh, that uh, the people of Thessalonica um, continue um, in the faith but also that they have a, a love and a longing for, for Paul as well. This isn't detached stuff. It's, it's warm, uh, and I'll go on with this in 3.6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us um, as we long to see you. There's, you, you can hear rejoicing in that as, as he speaks to that. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted in all of our uh, distress and in all of our affliction, um, we are comforted about you through your faith. 
For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, Paul says, we're, we're, we're good. Um, uh, these light and momentary troubles, as he would say elsewhere, don't begin to compare with the joy um, that we will have in Jesus Christ. And we have joy knowing that you stand fast uh, in the midst of your afflictions. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another um, and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And I, and I want to spend just a moment talking a little bit more um, about what Paul says there. But again, we, we note his joy and his thanksgiving that their faith um, continues, the longing that they would be able to gather face-to-face and enjoy um, fellowship. Uh, you know, honestly, even for those, you know, obviously you've got the whole instro- introvert, extrovert um, scale and all of that good stuff, but it, but it speaks to within the Christian life um, our, our need for one another. And one of the great gifts which God gives to us is the ability to be um, members of one another in, in a way which is beyond the superficial, uh, to be able to strengthen one another, to encourage um, one another. Uh, that tremendous gift which is given to us, needed at any time, but particularly in, a, in an age like today. Uh, we need and we long for um, those relationships. And he says this, uh, Now may our God and Father himself, and this is 11 and following, and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another um, and for all. So uh, he speaks to uh, the need to abound in love um, for one another, um, but also in love for all. Um, And there, uh, there's the challenge, isn't it? Uh, And there's something that our world uh, deeply, uh, desperately needs. If if you remember um, back in uh, both, it's actually both in, in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, in Matthew 5, uh, and then again in, in Luke 6, um, Jesus says, you know, if you love those who love you, so what? Um, even, even the tax collectors um, and the sinners do that. Even the Gentiles um, love those who love them and, and give to those who will um, give to them. Uh, Jesus notes uh, rightly that's, you know, that, that's not particularly um, remarkable, and there's nothing about that which sets you apart from, from anywhere else. And one of the great calls to us uh, as, as Christians is, is not only um, to uh, love those who, who love us, that you may abound in love for one another, but also um, in love for all. Uh, that is one of the things that will, um, that will be distinct uh, about the Christian witness, the way the love is demonstrated, not just with those who are like us, not just with those who agree with us, but also the way that love and concern will be demonstrated to those, uh, in essence, um, outside of us. And, and of course, we don't really have time to begin to go into what does love mean and what does love, what does love look like? Because the reality is, to some degree, uh, of course, love doesn't always mean agreement. Um, love doesn't always mean, um, uh, sometimes love means speaking words which are comforting and encouraging. Sometimes love means 
I'm speaking words which are challenging. Sometimes love looks like coming alongside someone and, and supporting them. Uh, sometimes love is a word uh, of challenge um, to people as well, but um, that we are earnestly, prayerfully um, seeking the well-being of those uh, who we are close with and, and those that we are not close with. That are, And, and quite frankly, um, that's the source of yours and my security, isn't it? Uh, the source of yours and my hope, the source of yours and my faith is that, that God has extended unmerited uh, love to you and to me. Um, though that we lived as, as enemies of God, uh, God sought us uh, in Jesus and, and loved us in a way which was sacrificial um, and reconciling. And that, that love demonstrated to us through the cross and the resurrection ever needs to be before us as we think about what it looks like um, to live in love and relationship with the people around us. Uh, and, you know, typically when God speaks about love and Jesus speaks about love, most people are on board with that. Most people uh, agree. It, it, you know, it's funny. In John 6, one of my favorite portions, uh, Jesus is, is talking and he's been going about his public ministry and, and great crowds have been gathering around him. And then he, he begins to press in and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you have no part in me. And we hear that people began to grumble uh, and people began to uh, fall away. And Jesus turns to his followers uh, and, and says, but, says to them, what about you? Um, do you want to leave also? Uh, and those uh, wonderful words of, of Peter, I, I find them incredibly moving and, and, and perhaps a little melancholy, but, but more than that, but he says, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Because you alone um, hold the keys um, to eternal life. Uh, to whom shall we go? And I, obviously this is my interpretation, which you may take or leave, but I, but I hear in that Peter saying as well as, you know, we, we, we've tried the other avenues and we know that you alone are the source uh, of, of life um, that we look for. You alone are the source of life that we long for. But I, I mentioned that by way of saying, you know, the, the, the love talk is, is great, but then Jesus begins to press in of our need and necessity for him, and people begin to react strongly. And in chapter 4, uh, as we begin, Paul begins to, as, as he always does, there is the truth of the gospel which is conveyed, there is uh, the doctrine and the framework which is conveyed, but it's, it's never disembodied. Uh, because now we see that it begins to talk about what that looks like um, in our lives, what that looks like in the way that we live in relationship with God and the way that we live in relationship with what, one another and what that looks like in the ways in which we engage the world around us and what does that look like in the ways in which we are distinct uh, from the world around us in a, in a way to bring light um, into the darkness, uh, to bring life um, where it is deeply and desperately needed. As, as some would say, um, he begins to go now from, from preaching to meddling. Uh, and in four, he says this, Finally then, brothers, uh, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the, the word for instructions uh, is the word, again, sort of in battle, the word coming um, from the commander. So basically what Paul is saying is, look, we're not telling you what we think. We're, we're telling you 
um, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message that we have received from him. This isn't our, this isn't our personal opinion is what Paul is saying. And this is, I pick up again in 4.2. For you know what instructions we gave you through our Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, um, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, and I've, I've, I've got a, a fair amount to say um, about that and, and what follows. Because uh, one of the things when, when Paul is talking about uh, our, our sanctification, it, it's our ongoing growth and our ongoing formation in Jesus Christ. That, uh, that it's, uh, yes, it's a knowledge within our heads, but it's also a knowledge which begins to um, take root in our lives and to begin to shape and fashion um, our lives, but, but also particularly um, our loves, the things that we um, love, the things that we pursue. Basically, our, our, our sanctification, yes, it's a process of God's power working through our weakness uh, and our affections wonderfully being realigned, uh, being realigned in relationship with God. And, and the great way that this brings about in yours and my life, freedom, uh, a greater freedom and a greater, and a greater wholeness. Um, and, as I, and as I say all of that, and, and, and the necessity that our lives would bear the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, uh, that, that we would begin to uh, change, there is inevitably numerous pitfalls that we can fall into. Uh, one, perhaps you've heard the, um, the phrase um, fruit inspector, where we're, we're constantly um, sort of judging and evaluating other people to see if, if they're making enough progress. And, and we put ourselves um, in the judgment seat, which of course um, is, is, a, is a dangerous place. Um, uh, when you and I are sitting in the judgment seat, um, it's time to move. Uh, that, that's a dangerous thing for us. And we remember the parable which Jesus tells about the wheat and the tares, growing together and Jesus is and as the story is told um, the followers say do you want us to go out and pull it pull the tares um, out of the wheat and the master says you know what no um, because we need to we need to wait um, you don't have the ability to discern at this point what is what is wheat uh, and and what is weed um, so there's the necessity for you and for me um, to be careful in in falling into um, the judgment of others not that we're not called to discern, um, but because we are. We are called to discern, and we are called um, to engage. But, but similarly, um, and you know, inevitably, there's the, there's the self-righteousness and the self-dependence, which inevitably goes before the fall, when we begin to think, you know what, I've, I've, I've got it now. <laughs> I've got it now. I've got it all under control. Pride inevitably goes before um, the fall. Uh, but there's also uh, uh, equally we we can be uh, we can be too lax. We can be um, too um, dismissive. Uh, we cannot cherish the grace of God which has been um, given to us, or or we can fall into despair wrongly um, when we inevitably sin and fall short of the glory of God, as, as Paul writes to the Romans. We we all sin. We all fall short of the glory uh, of God. Of that wonderful, beautiful. Um, portion uh, of Ephesians 2 when Paul talks about uh, it's by grace that we've been saved um, by faith and not by works that none of us um, may boast. He begins by saying we were dead uh, not just not well we were dead in our sins and our trespasses but but God being rich in mercy 
um, intervened. God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together uh, in Christ. It's by grace you've been saved and not by works that, that no one may boast. Uh, our only boasting is in the graciousness of God. Our only boasting is in the mercy and the forgiveness of God. So as we talk about sanctification, we, we rightly note that, that God does work in our lives. He does bring change in our lives. He does wonderfully, graciously um, redirect um, our affections, but there is um, the, the, the danger of, of, of thinking that we're getting better and better and, and looking down upon others. There's the danger of falling into despair when we sin and fall short. Inevitably, we are always um, dependent upon God bringing this about um, in our lives. And so I pick up in three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you uh, abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger, and all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. For God has not called us um, for impurity, um, but um, in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit um, to you. And then he goes on um, to speak um, about um, brotherly love um, for one another and, and the way that they wonderfully um, demonstrate that. But, but, a, but a little word here um, about Paul's calling the people to abstain um, from sexual immorality. And, and, and what he has to say is, is wonderfully accurate, but it's also wonderfully life-giving um, what Paul has to say. One of the things, and this is something that you're probably very familiar with, is, is that well, really, sexual um, laxity was was the prevailing norm through much of Greco-Roman uh, society. I mean, in, in certain circles, um, there was the belief that that the body um, didn't matter; only the only the spirit. So you could do uh, with the body whatever you wanted, and it and it didn't matter. It had no impact uh, on the spirit. They were um, they were separate, uh, and uh, and obviously as well, um, numerous deities, various. Um, sexual immorality was associated um, with the deities, but basically the uh, the Greco-Roman culture of, of first century, when Paul was um, speaking, uh, again, um, sexual laxity was uh, was was in the air um, that they all breathed, and and Paul says, you know what, we're we're called to be different from that. We're we're called to be distinct from that, and, and it's not in a, it's in by no means in any sort of cranky. Um, or prudish way, but it's, but it's a way of recognizing um, where freedom uh, rests, where freedom uh, lies. And I, I was uh, reminded of a couple of different um, passages, uh, uh, passages of Scripture, um, and uh, from uh, Philippians uh, is, is one of the places um, where, he, where he speaks to this wonderfully, and also uh, in, in Corinthians uh, as well, but he but he talks about in Corinthians how the body um, is is a temple of God. A body, your body is the temple uh, of the Holy Spirit. It, it is something uh, to be treated with reverence. But but also in Philippians, uh, Paul and Paul often uses in this idea of sanctification. It, it's the idea, yes, ultimately that God accomplishes it. Uh, that it's that it's God who brings about 
our salvation. It's God who brings about change in our life. It's God who brings about growth in our lives. But he, but he also often uses the imagery of athletics, uh, of our engagement uh, in this process. Uh, if any of y'all, um, well, you, th- you think about if, if, if y'all are, are involved in sports in any way, or, or not just sports, I guess <laughs> my mind first goes there, and I, and I, and I, and I think about um, running uh, and the process involved to improve, the, the process involved to be faster uh, involves lots of different um, techniques and involves training, and, and often um, your, your progress is imperceptible at first. Uh, you're, you're making progress, progress without recognizing it, um, and it's, uh, it, it speaks to that. But one of the things that I want to notice is Paul talks about being sanctified, being set apart um, for God and growing in relationship with him and his warning um, against sexual morality. And now I'm drawing from what he writes to the Philippians, and I, and I think this is incredibly Um, accurate. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And then then he says this, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, sadly, those words in 19, their end is destruction, but their their God, um, their God is their belly. Part of what Paul um, is is talking about here, that we might not be um, carried away um, in uh, our passion of lust. And, and what he's speaking on, and our God being our belly, um, there, there's nothing free about that. Uh, there, there's nothing free about being captive uh, of our, our uh, various um, appetites and lusts, whether they be sexual or, or whatever. Um, it's, it's the opposite uh, of freedom. Uh, much of the culture uh, around Paul spoke to it away as if it didn't matter at all and it was the way to be free, and that's certainly very present um, in our time as well. Um, but what Paul is, is talking about is um, actually rather than finding freedom in that, um, what you find is, is slavery. And I, I share now uh, from the Pilgrim's Progress, and I, uh, this is one of the things, and I can't remember whether I referenced this last week um, as well, and maybe you can't remember either. Um, but there's a there's a moment uh, when they are when they are making their way Christian and faithful, and they're talking about the various ways in which they were tempted and the various ways in which they were um, challenged. Uh, and faithful is recounting the way uh, in which uh, Adam the first, who lived uh, in the town of deceit, um, Adam the first, who lived in the town of deceit. Um, how he uh, uh, tempted him and how uh, appealing um, what he had to say um, first appeared to them. Uh, And apparently he had but three daughters, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and and pride of life. Uh, Of course, as you and I read that, thinking, well, that's a definite tip. Um, But he goes on um, to say this, uh, how captivated he was, how drawn he was to think about um, coming into um, that particular place. And, and then he says this, 
Then it came rushing into my mind that despite his flattering words, he would sell me as a slave when we got to his home. Despite his flattering words, he would sell me as a slave when he got to his home. Well, here's the reality. He may have given him everything that he promised, but the realization of faithful is that it wouldn't free him, it would make him a slave. And again, when Paul was talking about sexual immorality, he's not being a crank and he's not being a prude, but he's saying if you um, are driven simply by your, your lust, you become a captive to them. You become slave to them. Uh, and, and your image and the image of God is, is distorted. Uh, you, ultimately, you, uh, maybe you get what you want, but you'll find out it's not what you want. Um, because what you'll find is that you are enslaved. But he wonderfully um, goes on to say um, as well, and this is, it continues on, um, that not only does this uh, affect us, and this is in verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, to wrong his brother to wrong his sister. Um, the, the fact that this not only has an impact on us, um, but it has an impact uh, on other people as well. Is, is something is taken away not only from us, but something uh, is taken away uh, from them. Uh, this, uh, this encouragement, um, which, which Paul gives, uh, that we would not be carried along um, beyond um, our own control, uh, being an instrument, uh, being basically controlled and used destructively um, by our passions. And again, if we go back to the way that Paul's speaking, he's not speaking in any passionless way, but it's about passions that are rightly ordered um, in Jesus Christ and the way that this leads to the freedom and the wholeness that we long for. Uh, I, 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 I conclude now, not that I've, um, uh, not that I've uh, done uh, full justice to what all is in there, and uh, there, there's so much more to be said, particularly um, about that which comes at, at the end of four and going into five, but I want to be mindful. I want to be mindful um, of our time, and, and quite frankly, obviously, encourage you to continue to read through this, not just once, but repeatedly, uh, and to allow uh, these words to uh, the Word of God to do its work, uh, allow the, the truth and the freedom uh, and the joy uh, which is here begin to um, sow seeds uh, in, in your life. But, but Paul goes on and addresses one of their greatest concerns, which is the coming of the Lord. Uh, the, the, the concern of death, uh, the, the death of those uh, that they loved, their, their own deaths, death which is inevitably and always before us. A friend of mine um, said uh, about his ministry that uh, he really in many ways sees his ministry as preparing people for death, uh, and that may sound a little somber, but I, but I think there's a tremendous truth um, in that because wonderfully um, for the Christian, death has lost its sting. Uh, our, our greatest issue and our greatest enemy has been removed through Jesus' cross and through Jesus' resurrection. That greatest enemy, that greatest concern has been defeated. Uh, there is a final word uh, of grace and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is a final word of new and risen life. There's that wonderful word that this life is of tremendous significance and importance to be dwelled in and engaged, but we wonderfully have a perspective beyond this life, that this life and this world um, is not all there is. And this is in 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do um, who have no hope. Uh, We grieve 
um, rightly, uh, but we grieve as those with hope. It was uh, eight months ago now that my father died, and as you might imagine, that was a time of tremendous, uh, it was a time of tremendous grief. And I share this story with you not to say that I'm pious because um, that's not the, uh, uh, no, that, that's, not, that's not the deal, but, but to speak to how good God is. We were very fortunate when dad died. We were all there with him. And, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. But we we're very, very grateful that it did work for us to all be with, with dad. And, and I remember, you know, very specifically when he died and, and the days um, following that, being filled with a tremendous sense of joy. Uh, and the words from the burial office were, sorrow and pain are no more, neither sighing, but life um, everlasting. Those words um, came to me uh, again and again. Uh, the Lord graciously, I'm saying that the, the final word is one of new and, and risen life, that, that hope and that security which, which we have. Um, and and, and this, is what, this is what Paul is saying. I, I don't want you to be um, uninformed. I don't want you to get swept up in when exactly the time will be. Because as Jesus notes in the 13th chapter of Mark's gospel, no one knows the hour except the Father. Uh, Jesus Christ will return in power and great glory. Um, He will, God will finally and fully set things um, to right. But the the specific hour um, is known um, to the Father alone. And and, and inevitably, um, people can get swept into trying to figure out when the time is. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those um, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage um, one another with these words. Um, uh, As I say, there's so much more um, to be said um, that that needs um, to be said. But he he goes on um, in chapter 5 and and chapter 5 finishes with words of with words of joy with words of thanksgiving with words uh, of encouragement uh, we're called to find our our life and our security in Jesus Christ as Paul often writes we're called to clothe ourselves with him and and being clothed in him we have the power of God working in our lives to shape and to fashion our affections uh, toward his and and in that is where we find the freedom that we long for in there is where we find the, the, the meaning and the purpose um, which we long for, but also that security, the security not only in this life, but the security to know that our greatest concern in enemy death um, has been defeated uh, and that our Lord Jesus will come to us uh, in time and he will gather us um, to himself. And I, and I close with Paul's uh, final instructions and benediction, which I read to you now. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who, well, I'll I'll pick up just a little bit, Um, uh, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, uh, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, And we can say to that, um, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the assurance and security which we have in Jesus, your Son, and the power and the presence uh, and the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would be alive and at work, uh, setting us apart for yourself, uh, drawing and aligning our affections with yours, that we might find the freedom and salvation found therein. This we ask in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.